listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Hi, and welcome to the Inclusive AF podcast. This is Jackie Clayton, and this is usually the time when you hear, and this is Katie Van Horn, but Katie Van Horn is probably off somewhere drinking margaritas, contemplating their choices in life. But instead with me, I have the wonderful, brilliant, a personal friend and someone I look up to, Donald Knight from Greyhouse. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Jackie. Thank you for having me. I brought my glasses, so I just want you to know. I love them. I'm going to be on brand today with you. You know, there's a Clayton brand if you don't know. That's right. It's always the signature accent piece. How have you been? How's life? You know what? It's been pretty good. What's funny is for those of us that watch, we do record and put this on on YouTube. These are brand new glasses, and I slept in them. Like I slept in my glasses and woke up and they were broken, but I still love them. These are the latest, the latest uh, pair. But things are going good. I just had the DEIB report come out, the yeah. my 2023 DEIB report. Um, and I am so glad that that came out and that's done. It's something yeah. that I don't, I, you know, it's like my own Super Bowl that I'm competing with myself. Um, and so we won. Uh, we still have work to do, but uh, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing grand. First of all, for the listeners, if you don't listen to, if you don't go read the DEIB report, you're lost. Please go do so. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Our head of, of IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Allyship, Jamie Adasi, um, she uses that report um, because it's, it's one of the very few, that, in my opinion, that shines light on the things that we should be measuring and monitoring inside of our businesses. Um, so kudos to you. I don't think you're just competing Thank you. in the Super Bowl. There's some bad content out there and bad reporting out there. So uh, It's ridiculous, need- really. Yeah, like I think I think we've gotten to a point where people are so quick to put things out in haste. Um almost through this lens of quantity that we've created an ecosystem where quality now is the new outlier. Right. I love that. And especially now it's like it's almost like, you know, with ChatGPT, I always laugh because I'm like, if you see a rocket in anybody's post, then it's ChatGPT. Because I'm like, because when's the last time you put a rocket in a post? <laughs> I'm like, you never put a rocket in a post before. You never used that star before. I'm yeah. looking at your content for five years, but it comes out so fast that people have been not only doing that, it's like a new version of plagiarizing people's content so that the same bad advice comes in five different forms. Yeah. It'll be the topic of a podcast, a blog post. It'll be um, somebody uses it for a webinar. And it was bad when it first came out. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I saw this, I saw this literally um, yesterday. I had a friend I had a friend send me a video. He was at a conference and he said, he said, Don, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? And he sends me the video. This guy's playing my content. He's given a speech at Amplify. He's, 
he's playing my content, which I don't mind. Like if you, if there's plenty of people like Jackie Clayton, Mita Malik, like there's people, Brene Brown, that are putting meaningful content in, this, in, the, in the ecosystem, by all means, like share good content, especially because it's impactful. It can help people learn, it's insightful. But like give credit where credit is due. This dude didn't have my name. He didn't have my company. Are you and serious? So I'm so serious. So um, I quickly had our team find out who it was. Come to find out, he's a fraternity brother of mine. Like, what? Oh, I'm so serious. So I uh, I won't put his name on here because we have agreed that if he's going to use my content moving forward, he has to start giving credit where credit is due. But it's like, dude, that costs you nothing. But again, it's like people want that reaction, right? Like the quality content, the quality research, the quality reporting, it's it's the outlier now. That's right. And so because it stands out so much, everybody wants to use it. And so if I see you on my LinkedIn profile and you're taking Jackie Clayton content or Mita Malik content and you're not citing them, I will slide in your DMs. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I'm sliding in. Yeah, because it's like you got to start giving people credit. But other than that, I'm doing really, really good. <laughs> well, well, for everyone who doesn't know you, tell people a little bit about your background. Yeah, uh, uh, Donald Knight, Chief People Officer, Greenhouse Software, a little bit about my background. My parents are both military. Um, and I got to live all over the world. I tell people that because, like, Jackie, in many ways, I view the world through a lens that's not American-centric. Mm. Like, I love America. My parents fought for the company, they, for the country. They they wore the country's uniform. But, like, and I recognize opportunities we have in this nation that many nations do not. 195 okay. nations on the planet, for those that are listening, is 195. But I typically view the world through, like, a global lens in the sense that I don't say, oh, I went and studied abroad. Like, no, I studied globally. The, the world doesn't center on the U.S., Right, right. I um, love that. Yeah. So that shaped me. And as I got as I got older, like I really wanted to be in roles that I thought could unlock impact. And so my parents ended up divorcing really, really early in my in my teenage years. And because I was able to successfully help them agree on what each other got, I thought I wanted to be an attorney. Um, yeah, I know. I'm glad I'm not. I like attorneys though. Like I do. I like, I do like attorneys. Speaking of which, our chief legal officer, Jung, she just saw you somewhere or was chatting. Oh, yes. Was it like a talent makers conversation or something? Oh yes. Yes. We did. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so shout out to Jung. I do like, uh, I do like, uh, attorneys, but my, I had my first CHRO, Kay Kennedy, she basically convinced me not to go into the legal profession. And she talked about like the shift that was happening in our profession and how um, there were gonna need leaders who viewed the world differently, who were more commercially driven, but can connect with people with specific traits that weren't being taught at the time. Things like vulnerability, things like empathy, things like transparency. Um, and, but not for her, I wouldn't be in the profession. and. You know, I've matriculated through multiple companies since then and worked for phenomenal leaders and some not so phenomenal leaders. Yep. And uh, all those roads and all those paths led me here to Greenhouse. And so 
I'm happy to be here. I'm also Daylin's dad. I have a son who's 12. He'll be 13 on the tw uh, later this month. And uh, I'm pretty excited to be his dad. He's taking up wrestling now, Jackie. He Whoa. Yeah. How's that yeah. as a parent? Uh, I think I think my wife uh, is like, oh, like very near heart attack mode every time he's on the mat. She's like, that's my baby. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's somebody else's baby that he's, he's tossing around too. So <laughs> A lot of babies on the map. Uh, I call my son sweet baby TJ, and I'm the same way. When he was in swim lessons, I could not watch. I was just like, I'm, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. And then I got a little girl on the way. So that I'm is exciting. I'm excited to be a girl dad. It's going to be fun. Congratulations. You know, you can be as fun as the rest of us. That's what I always say. You're welcome. <laughs> welcome. Um, but I think I, I, it's funny that you said that somebody like took your, I can't, I can't believe that people are still doing that and thinking that you're not going to get called out, that you're not, I had someone take my content, rewrite the content, but kept the core, like they tried to enhance the title of the content and then kept everything in the middle and then tried to rewrite the outro. Um, and I asked them to change it or get give credit. They said no. They said no, we're not. We admit that we that it was your document. We'll just rewrite it again. I was like, it, but it's not your content. And they were like, no, I didn't want to give you credit. So then I was just like, so angry. I would have used you if you were a lawyer at that point. <laughs> you were, I could have used I could have used you as a lawyer. But I do think what you said makes sense in the world of work has changed. Our roles have changed, yeah. um, but I, I think that employees have um, different expectations than they did five years ago. No longer is the, I just want to go to work and put my head down, do my job and go home. Um, people, you don't see as many people like that anymore. They, they're yeah. looking to more. Like, what have you noticed has been a change? What would you say significantly um, through this? Through this experience. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to kick a dead horse, but I'll, I'll say this about the content thieves and then I'll leave the, I'll leave that topic. <laughs> I think it's indicative of what we've seen in the workplace all along, which is people would rather impersonate than congratulate. Mm. Like I, I remember, I remember seeing, hearing my mom come home at, once she left the military and was working as a civil servant. And she remembered seeing her bosses praised for work publicly inside of the agency that she worked at only for her to be like, Hey, I gave that to you like two weeks ago and you never responded. And if you thought it was so good, like, why didn't you like, like, just put me in the footnote. Like I'm, she was right. clearly that leader's team, but like, why not, why not provide somebody another, uh, a lens of congratulation or affirmation? And I think what it what has happened is, and that's happened for, I, I'm sure there's plenty of women, there's plenty of people in the in business that that has happened to. I think it has seeped into content creation and social platforms where we would much rather impersonate someone else's creativity than congratulate them for, be, for the creation itself. And to me, like, that's not okay. Like when people tell me um, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, don't flatter me. I don't want to be flattered. Like, that's right. Give me my credit instead. And if we can partner, but like, give me my credit. So I, I hope people listening here, like, 
go affirm the people that you have found meaningful um, impact from the work and the creations that they put out into the world. I love um, that because it's an insult. It's an insult because number one, you think I'm stupid. Like, let's just start with that. And it's just lazy. Like It's, it's pure like, laziness. We don't got to be that lazy. Um, I think to your point about other trends in the workplace, yeah, I think the future of work has shifted. But I, I think often, Jackie, we talk about this almost like a generation versus generation perspective. You see this with like returning to work. Mm -hmm. It's like there's people that are like, oh, my oh, my goodness, my leader doesn't like people. Why? Because they're making us come back to work. And then <laughs> on the opposite end, you have these leaders that are like, oh, OMG, like these people are all lazy. Why? Because they don't want to come to work. <laughs> right. And I'm like, right. you realize like the truth is somewhere in the middle. There That's is right. value in collaboration in person. And we have to figure out what that balance looks like for each individual company differently because our cultures are all differently and comprised of different people with diversity of thought. And I think equally at the same time, there is a flexibility that companies should be offering to talent now. Like for the leaders that say these things shouldn't evolve, everything else did. That's right. We don't ride on camels and horses every day. <laughs> And both things can be true. Yes. Right? Both yeah. things can be true. I, I think that there's a narrative that we see where everybody's like, pick a side, pick a side, pick a side. It's not, it's not always an us versus them, a me and you, or I have to pick a side. I, I can, like, I live in Texas. I can look at Governor Abbott and say, you know what? He's done some really gross things. But thank you for the tax credit for my house. Like, I could be appreciative of the tax credit for my house and still yeah. think that you're going the wrong direction with education. Both of those things can be true. Why, why do you think that's hard for us to do as humans today? Like, why is it so? Because I think you touch on something. Your ability to um, give praise and compartmentalize the things that are going well and give criticism on the things that are not going as well in many ways today, you're an outlier. Like that, there's a certain level of maturity that takes. Why is it that, why is that the exception, not the rule? That I think because it, if you look at historically what always seems to stand out and granted, I always say, you know, I have an American public school education, so work with me. I always say, we're always looking for a hero in everything that we do, especially within the United States. We wanna be a winner. And the only person who wins is first place. But you never, you always are pushed that way, especially those of us that were athletes. We're always pushed in that. It, it was never be your best. It was be the best. And so that means in order for me, we've taught that in order to be successful, um, you have to be number one. At school, they didn't say, you took a test and then they were graded. And then you had the person who got the highest score. Those are the person who gets the best grade. They get to sit in the front at graduation. Those, that's how we look at how you earn is by being the best. And so it's, it, and so there has to be a clear loser. People feel like there has to be a clear loser in order for some groups to feel like they're being a true winner. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to lose. It's, it yeah. doesn't make, it doesn't make sense, but it's also because you haven't been with that global point of view, like you're talking about. Yeah. 
Like it is understanding that that what we're starting to learn, especially like around music. I love music. I used to be a violinist, and it, well, you, but you listen, you learn music from this Eurocentric lens. It's like four four time. It's it's understanding the types of notes, what you think is beautiful, and then go listen to traditional Indian music. It's not taught in school as oh. a form of music. Like the key signature, the types of notes don't even exist. It's a completely different language that once you hear it, you can't unhear it. And it's like this beautiful bouquet, but it takes taking the effort to seek those things out because that's not what's presented to people. And so in order for people to have this experience, they have to seek it out. Yeah. yeah. And so that I think that it's easy. It's lazy. That's what it is. It goes it's back to what you lazy. said. That's yeah. lazy of not looking at other points of view. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think you touch on so many things. You're right that to seek out, in many ways, today's society has made it easier for us to opt into perspectives that align and remind us of our own. Yep. And so if the real work is finding differing perspectives, and the insight or beauty in the that that is offered from those perspectives, yet it takes a level of effort. You're spot on. People who don't put in that effort won't find those perspectives. I think the problem is it starts to creep into the workplace. Yes. It's like one of the coolest things I like about being a distributed company is that I don't sit in a floor that is completely designated to people teams or HR teams. Okay. I think that's the coolest part about being distributed because now I'm forced to seek out everybody that I'm connecting with. And so in many ways, I'm spending my weeks speaking to as many engineers or marketers or salespeople that I would do people teams. And my, it it has influenced the way that I lead. It influences the way that I show up not just for my team, but for the company. Um. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. I'll give you an example of that. There's a, uh, we have ERGs, we call them Arbors. One of them is called Trellis. Um, that is for- so cute. I get it. Greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm slow. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, uh, the, the, the population that we're hoping to like, Uh, encouraged to find support in that community are people who identify as a multitude of things, people with disabilities, people with uh, diverse abilities, neurodivergent individuals. Um, And what I have found is like, I'm more cognizant of the way that I show up in spaces with them in mind. So like little things like, um, Am I recording meetings? Am I doing transcripts? Am I sharing that? Am am I giving people access to that recording? 
Because what I found is like in many ways, people are learning and in, in collaborating differently. For some people reading the, 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 the text afterwards from the recording, the transcript allows them to be up to date on the things that were discussed uh, as opposed to others may need to be live. But I didn't have that perspective before I came to Greenhouse. I can honestly say that. I didn't have that. I didn't think about those types of environments. And so I hope if there's listeners out there listening, like find ways to seek out the different perspectives that Jackie's talking about, because in many ways you'll be better for it. I know I am. I, I appreciate that. I would love to know when you got to Greenhouse, what was something that you were like, that was part of the culture that you knew, oh, we're going to build on that? Like, or, you know, to the, to the opposite of that, was there anything you're like, okay, we're stopping that, like, oh, today? Oh, because <laughs> you came at a certain time. I mean, the thing that is interesting about Greenhouse, and I'll tell you my background, because I used to write, so my thing is what I used, and it's, you're the guest, I'm not the guest, but when I used to write about it, I remember at the beginning, um, another, like, ATS that was coming out, and people, it was all the buzz, and then it was Greenhouse, and it was all the buzz about these two companies that were going to compete with each other, and then we were like, well, what, tell me about what's going on with these companies, and so there was already a following, and kind of like we discussed earlier, that there are there are those of us that are in this space who work for companies that their product is directly tied to our roles. So then people are looking at you to set the standard. So when you got there, what, what was something that you thought was really great that you love about a greenhouse or something that you thought mm, maybe we should change this? I'll, I'll take both. The first thing I thought that I wanted to build upon was the social impact. It is undeniable that if you have structured interviewing and you can limit the amount of bias inside of an interview process with things like a scorecard, with things like inclusive languages, like with things like pronouns, with things like name pronunciation, the candidate shows up better. The company shows up better. You have better conversations. And then you're creating access for, for, for talent that otherwise might not have had it. Like that's what most people don't realize when it comes to hiring. The reason why hiring is so fundamental, it's the access. Yes. There are so many people that have been locked out of certain industries in their peak because they weren't hired to be a part of the companies that were, you know, experiencing the highs of new industries. And to me, like if if the social impact perspective there's a there's a company, if you're not plugged in with them, we should get you plugged in. This is live, by the way. So I love I love doing this. But <laughs> there's a young lady by the name of Marlene Santiel. She co-founded with this young lady named Robin, a nonprofit called Black Women on Boards. And I got the opportunity to meet Marlene in New York. Why do I bring this up? When I went and looked at the members of her organization and where they've worked, and how many of them were powered by Greenhouse. And how many of them might not have had those opportunities to go on to be directors, VPs, SVPs, C-suite leaders prior to having, like that history is what has positioned them to be people that are creating value and steering companies, both private and public. My light bulb went up. I'm like, that's social impact. That's social impact. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 
And so for yeah. me, I, when I look at those things, it's the social impact to me was something I knew I wanted to build upon. And I've nerded out with one of our co-founders, John Strauss, on this to no end, which is like, how do we tell tell the story? This isn't just you choosing hiring software. That ain't what this is. This isn't just an ATS. We are finding ways to create access to communities, to talent that companies would have likely otherwise overlooked. And when you go yes. on and see their value, it's amazing. There's, there's a young lady at our company. Her name is Madeline Conway. Um, she's one of my favorite people in the world. She's on our enterprise sales team. Madeline had the best quarter of any greenhouse AE in the history of greenhouse this year in this market. This year. What? Ever. Ever. Young lady, by the way. Lady, woman. <laughs> like, for all those that are wondering, like, should you have women in tech? You should totally have women in tech. Ask, <laughs> right. Don't believe me? Ask Jackie Clayton, ask Madeline. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Go get women in tech. When her, when her stats came out, I, of course, applauded her and sent her a voice note. But you know who else I went and applauded? The hmm. person who hired her. Who's the yes. Who sourced you? Who was your talent acquisition manager? Who made sure that your interviews were... Because that person is a part of that story. I, I'm so glad that you said that. I just said that. It's like it's one of the thank, most thankless jobs. Nobody ever says, oh, such a great job. Look what we just developed. This is the whole team that you recruited. Yeah. You know? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So that's that's what I knew I went to build off on. What did I knew I, I wanted to stop? <laughs> um, there's a host of things. Like we've changed out our tech stack. We've built out people rewards. We've built out what performance conversations should look like. We uh, built a talent philosophy. There's much, many things. I think the, 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 the two things I wanted to stop, the first one was ac access to me. Mm. Ooh, I'm snapping. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, the, the C-suite is not an ivory tower. And for right. all you leaders that are like, oh, I have an open door policy. Yeah, but if in, nobody walks th in that door, you don't have an open door policy. <laughs> right. Like, I want it to create access to people up and across the organization. I can care less what your title is. I don't care who you report to. I want to be the most accessible chief people officer on the planet. And if someone feels like they want to get in, get, get in contact with me, I want them to know they can. Like that's important to me. I'm not. I'm not an ivory tower person or leader. The second one though was what what you do very well, Jackie, and we we've talked about this a little bit. Um, but you, Kara Alamano, like there's certain leaders in our space. The bar is higher for us mm -hmm. because of the companies we work at and the purpose that we're on and how we're powering a different conversation inside of the workplace and. When I met with our CMO, Karen, and our CRO, Sean, I said, listen, I, I don't see your people leaders anywhere, like, at all. Yeah. Like, and that's not an indictment. It's just like, I, do, I feel like if you're going to be in this space and you're really on a mission and you're signed up for the values and the, how we're helping companies unlock potential, I, I'm not letting you craft the narrative. We're going to craft the narrative. I'm customer zero. Like I use the product before. <laughs> That's right. all of them. So um, I knew that was something I wanted to start, which is like, how do we get in shared spaces, crafting our own narrative? I like the influencers in our space 
I think there's many of them that are doing phenomenal work. But um, although I don't consider people like me, you or Kara are influencers, I do believe we have a responsibility to influence. That's right. That's right. I mean, I don't know. I think, I, and I'm glad that you said that because it's not, I think there are people that are influencers are people that are trying to influence. I'm not trying to influence. I'm just trying to share what I know. I, I don't even go as far as say educate. I'm just going to share what I know um, and, and maybe a different perspective because it is, it is very key for those of us who work in these spaces that are held to a different standard that we don't let marketing dictate that back. And so often it's like, well, how we do the same thing internally here at Textio. We have a Textio for Textio where yeah. we use the product and how do we use it and what does it look like? And, you know, what is always surprising, I think, to founders is when you're like, oh, yeah, I don't use that part of the product. So I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I don't like that one. Why? You know, then the next thing you know, you got product in your office, you got all these people in your office. But I love that you said access to me because that is the outcome of using our products, right? So now that we've put these people, now you have to see the change that that has made. I think um, one of the things that is interesting um, about you is that people, your people at Greenhouse know you. They're excited to see you. They are seeing, you know, when they see you, they smile. They want to talk to you. They want to, you know, it doesn't look like, I don't think there's an ivory tower. I think people get excited to hear what you have to say, which does not happen at a lot of organizations. So <laughs> they're like, oh, it's our chief, yay, our chief people officer. Most people run the other way. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but that that's when I say influence, that's what I mean. I mean, look, I think there's there and there's a number of people in this space that is doing meaningful work. I don't want to like knock any CHRO or CPO or VPs or SVPs that are out there. But I do believe that in our organizations, respectively, that the bar of excellence, the standard of excellence is a lot higher because we're in the space. That's and right. I refuse to relinquish the responsibility of influencing narratives and shared spaces around the work that we're doing. Like if the right. people that are talking about the future of work doesn't include people like you, Kara, Pat Waiters, Ashley Goldsmith, if, it, if, yes. if we're just going to relinquish that responsibility to people who are not even in this seat, who may not have the same standard that we yeah. have to meet on a day-to-day -day basis, Nah, shame on us. Yes. Like, I think that responsibility is on us. And so I embrace doing that. And my hope is not to be an influencer. Like, I don't want to be an influencer. I do hope we can help shift the narrative. Yes. I hope the next time a CEO says, you know, remote work doesn't work or distributed work doesn't work, that, you know, their VP, their CHRO can be like, oh, by the way, like, I saw this report from... Jackie Clayton, or I saw this blog from Donald Knight, or I saw this this blog post or LinkedIn post from Kara. I, I hope they're able to go into the boardroom and say, "Hey, listen, that you. I understand you have this thought process. Here's how another company is thriving. Here's yeah. how another company is creating flexibility. This is what I stumbled across. I hope that's able to influence that conversation. Um, and so for me, I, it's 
that's not relinquishing that responsibility. My, my mom used to tell me this. She was like, um, if you're going to be here, you might as well be great. That's right. <laughs> I like your mom. So, I like your mom. <laughs> but the other part of it is that the difference is there are a lot of people that are considered influencers who don't do this work. There are people that I call knowledge bombers. Um, where they just run in, they drop this knowledge bomb, and they run out. They're never there to see the, it, what the impact was of what they just put in that space. And you can generally tell the difference because one is, is more excited because they're doing the work and they're learning and growing, and there's another group that's, like, really angry. <laughs> they're like you see these posts, and they're just mad all the time. And yeah. part of the reason that it's frustrating is – or why people are angry is because you can't see the outcome of your work. You haven't been able to do the work. And so you're trying to influence with words alone and not impact, much like we see a lot of, of politicians do or, um, you know, people that are, are, are talking about things that they haven't been able to experience. And once you do the work, you're able to see it takes many of us to put this together and you're able to look at it from a different perspective on how we can work. It's only going to work if we can all work together and we can come to some type of um, mutual goal that we all have this impact that we're trying to achieve. And I think that's interesting about you too, because you said you have lived globally and you've been all over like, what do you what are some of the lessons that you've learned um and what are some of your favorite places that you've been to yeah absolutely first of all i just want to ditto underscore retweet what you just said <laughs> i call that the ing effect ing the ing effect you got some people that are out there and they're faking that's right they've never done this work before stop it please stop it you're making it yes. harder for the rest of us stop it <laughs> Yeah. Then there's some people that are consulting. To your point, they come up with all these like nifty ideas and research, drop the bomb, then leave. Yep. There's a space for you, but just at least acknowledge that you're not an active practitioner. Tell me, tell, tell the I people ask. you've never implemented this process you just gave them. So exactly. you don't know if it's really going to work. Exactly. Like, please just 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 codify that a little bit. You keep consulting, just codify. Yes. yes. And then there's people like you and I, where we're living. Yeah. <laughs> we're active practitioners. There's a difference there. And I, I share this with people. It's like, if you've been in this work over the last two to five years, it's never been like this before. Right. So right. there's a different level of practitioners today than we might have saw before. Um, as I think about like all the places I've traveled and like the influence it's had on me, you know, I think the place that has influenced me the most um, is probably Ireland. Wow, Ireland. Yeah. yeah, because so I went I went to Ireland the first time I, I, I was uh, in grad school and they had a global study opportunity and I studied there for a semester. And it was the first place. Like, I know people in America would be like, oh, my goodness, America has all these shortcomings. We're not inclusive. We're not diverse. Y'all got to get out and travel more. <laughs> please, <laughs> right. please travel more. I, I went to Ireland. They have what I call, Jackie, monoculture. It's not a bad thing. It's just it's a factual thing. Monoculture. Sorry. monoculture. They have 
over 90% of the country identifies as Caucasian or white. Over 92% of the country is Catholic, right? And people wonder like, oh, so everybody's the same. No, that's what people say if you've never visited there. There's right. still bar fights in the pubs. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be clear. Let your football team be different from mine. Like, yeah. people go to the <laughs> mat, okay? So, but I say that to say this, like when I first got there and I did all this homework, like just to prep, I'm like, oh my goodness, monoculture, I'm probably going to stand out, like it's probably going to be very difficult, but I still chose to go. And my, and, my, and my mom, she was wondering, she was like, why are you still going? Like, if you already know these things. And I'm like, mom, you know, there's so much for me to learn there. Right. And so I was at University College Cork. Uh, so County Cork, it's, it's further south from Dublin. And we talked about the whole, the, the, the class was on global economics. And it taught, taught me so much about Irish history. So I'll give you a few things. Like um, the first thing is only 5 million people live in Ireland today. 5 million. Over 60 million people in the world identify as Irish. Wow. They have successfully exported their culture all over the world to the point that some people that live in Ireland, they wonder if they could get 10% of those people to move back to Ireland, what would that do to the economy? What would it do for entrepreneurship? What would it do for new industries? What would it do for AI, things of that nature? What would it do for home prices? Like there's a, there's a, there's a group, a community there that really wants to see people repatriate um, back to Ireland. I would not have learned that had I not been there. The other thing I learned was the rise of the Celtic tiger. So basically when they talk about their economy, the rise of the Celtic tiger really focuses on when the economy in Ireland took off. For many people who may be listening, you might've never been to Ireland. I'll give you the cliff notes um, or, the, or the, the chat GPT version. But <laughs> the rise of the Celtic tiger, um, when, when they separated from Great Britain from the Queen. Of course, you have Northern Ireland, which is still associated, and then you have Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. Um, there's a great Liam Neeson movie out there that kind of talks about um, the, the story a little bit. But what they saw is they went into extreme poverty. The crown was no longer taking care mm. of the country as extreme poverty. And in many cases, a lot of the educated Irish people then left, right? What ends up happening, the rise though, comes from um, leaders in the country figuring out, we have to figure out how we become a destination spot again. How do we become a gateway to Europe? How do we become a place where they can see the talent that we have here beyond our current means? It was aspirational. Like there were basically Irish Dr. Kings over there trying to figure out how do you change this landscape? And the rise comes from putting in legislation that allow corporate companies to have a cap on their tax rate, corporate tax rate at 12 and a half percent. Tech companies all over the place went over there. Pharmaceutical companies all over the place went over there. And today, many of those tech companies and pharmaceutical companies and so many other industries are still present in Ireland today. Now, I would not have learned any of that had I not been there. And what I saw was parallels between American history and Irish history, I saw struggles the, of the suffrage movement, civil rights movement, and the Irish movement on how did they stimulate their economy post um, separation from the crown. 
And when I got back to the U.S., my whole perspective changed. Mm. It changed about when people say, oh, we're not an inclusive country. I'm like, listen, yeah, the U.S. has its shortcomings. But like this progress that we've made has been it, it, it rivals no other country. Right. Some people would then tell me, but Donald, we still have racist. I'm like, yeah, but we have yeah. racists. That's right. That yes, that's right. You know, so Plural. it just it just changed my mentality. And what I found, what was very unique, it reminded me when I was a little kid and my parents lived in Germany or we lived in Italy. Um, there's universal languages out there. Um, food is a universal language, music is a universal language. Um, uh, dance is a universal language. Sports, particularly a soccer, you have a soccer ball, you can go anywhere on the planet. That's right. Universal language. And I used to make friends with these universal languages when I was little, but being in Ireland and making friends at a, at a much higher age, you know, 2021, 20, I'm like, OMG, like, there, this world has way more in common than I thought before. And yet there's still beauty in our diversity. And yes. what I found was I needed to find ways to create my own universal language that helped me connect with people as I navigated business. And so similar to you being known for glasses and your <laughs> amazing bubbly personality, I'm very much known for ice cream. Like ice cream is like my thing. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. The first time we had ice cream at Greenhouse Open is because... Karen was like, yes, he's here now. He loves ice cream. We're going to have ice cream. <laughs> um, people in my companies that I work with know if you want to get time on Donald's calendar, all you got to do is mention ice cream. We will find a way. <laughs> um, but people don't realize that I found, I, I always ate ice cream. I always loved ice cream. But the reason I leaned in on ice cream, it was after Ireland. When I was there, I found that having ice cream with people was an easy way for me to connect with people. And I learned so much about County Cork versus County Galway versus Kinsale versus Cove. And it just made me just a very different human, the way that I view people. And so I would encourage people, like when you're thinking about the perspectives Jackie talked about, about us seeking out different perspectives, I, I am a walking testament that having a different level of perspectives that, that you seek out can have a positive effect, not just on how you navigate this planet, but also how you navigate your career. I love that. I love this whole story. Gosh, Don, this is really cool stuff. I mean, I, now we have to get our friend from Lattice over here. Cause I bet you there's a, there's a, there's this corresponding piece. There has to be because my joke, it was always been people don't get into human resources because they love people. However, when you, you, it's, it, it is using empathy as a form of loving people. Yeah. You still have to be able to be empathetic, which is really, so when I say that, it's not because people don't like people. It's like people think um, 
it is, what I mean is, it's about being able to see multiple perspectives and going back to what we're saying that both things can be true because people outside of HR oftentimes say, you just want to protect the company. And I think you're right. Cause I work here. I'm like, you just want to protect the people. <laughs> That's right. Cause they work here. That's actually our job is to make sure that the, the company is whole and the people who work here are whole to be able to develop this company and those things come together. Um, what do you think? So Greenhouse, now what's funny is people will say, I love Textio. And I'll be like, oh gosh. You know, as you're interviewing people are like, I don't, you're, I don't know. I don't know, man. But then I go to Greenhouse and I'm like, oh my God, I love Greenhouse. I love Karen, your CMO. And when you say things like, oh, it's called Arbor, I'm like, yay, I get it. Like when you see everything, all of the materials has such a brand um, that that people do love Greenhouse and they love the brand. What do you think as the CHRO, like what is a, something that, is a misconception that people just assume because you're greenhouse and you have, you know, leaves and you have this cute little, you know, booth that stuff, everything relates. Um, the brand stands out from itself. But what do you think that the misconception is as people are interviewing for roles? Yeah, I, I will say Karen is an amazing brand leader and marketer. Um, um, and when I think about Arbors, I have to give credit. There's a young lady on my idea team named Nia Darvel. She's actually the brain, the brain child behind calling our ERGs Arbors. The idea, yeah, the, the <laughs> idea was like, if you look at Arbors for plants, it's a safe place for people to grow. And our mission is to unlock human potential. Um, but I joke with like John and Daniel, it's like, it's amazing. You wanted to unlock human potential but in doing so, you've created an environment where people do feel safe that they can. Yes. Go. So shout outs to Nia for that for that branding. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that, um, well, there's a couple. W one is that everything is like leaf or greenhouse related. <laughs> That's yeah. not the case. No? <laughs> yeah, it's not. Like, do we call our employees greenies? Yes. Where that was that. Was that an original thought that came from John and Daniel? Absolutely not. Right? <laughs> yeah. I think there's some amazing, there's, we have tons of people who have like side gigs and passion projects. And in many ways, a lot of our culture has been the addition that they have given to us, but it hasn't been like a mandate. There's no mandate that you have to go with like leaf and flower <laughs> names or trees. Like that's not a mandate here. That's a misconception. I think there's a second misconception that we have everything figured out. Right. And um, yeah, the bar's higher for us, right? When you got, when you have over 7,000 companies that depend on you to get this right, because this is how they're bridging amazing talent to their company. Yeah, the bar is higher, the stakes are higher, um, but we fail sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I think that's okay. That's the charm. Yeah. I think, I think it's okay for us. And I think we're getting more comfortable with sharing how we've learned from those failures, mm. um, which I think to me personally, 
Jackie, I think that's more powerful. I think in this, the shift that I see happening in the workplace right now, probably the biggest shift that I see is that leaders don't know how to lead now. Oh, uh, right. They, the, 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 the playbooks, the traits, the default habits, actions, and behaviors that might've helped you get to 2000 or even 2020, yep. that yep. ain't going to get you to 2030. Not. There's, there's, there's people who will not follow your leadership um, because of your lack of ability to evolve and see value in things like empathy, transparency, uh, acceptance of and sharing publicly where you might have failed and why that's okay. Creating a place where it's a safe environment for people to be themselves. Like if you think that's just flowery language, I, I feel really bad for you because you won't be able to lead the, the leaders of tomorrow. You won't be able to lead the experts of tomorrow. I think that's the new table stakes. That's the new standard. And that's honestly, right. Jackie, I think that's why people like you have been able to thrive. You were ahead of the curve. Um, Listen, thanks. <laughs> it was really bumpy. It was really bumpy. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, to your point, I uh, every two weeks I call it, it's like my three Johns because I speak to, um, I do But First Coffee with John Baldino and then um, I talk to John Strauss and then I, I talk to my other John and, it, and, it, and I think what's really interesting in talking to John Strauss, I always laugh because at Texium we only have 100 people and we talk about stuff. I'm like, oh, same. There's a big difference between 100. <laughs> what? You know, there's like the 100 to 300. Then there's a 300 to 500. There's a 500 to 700. Those of us in HR know there's a, there's a, that's a ramp. That's a huge there's a ramp. ramp. There's a ramp. Yeah. And what I love about John Strauss is that he'll say, you know, I was thinking about something. Like he's always thinking and open to ideas and really goes back to wanting to wanting to do this right, but being able to be, to know when you're not getting it right, or you're like, mm, I don't, something feel right. Like this doesn't feel right. This is, we need to make a change here. And being self-aware is what's different now, I think, between leaders now than the leaders that brought me up. Like I, I, I tell the story, it was like the best moment hindsight probably a little traumatic <laughs> like now that I'm adult at the time I, I, I had a boss that um, uh, she was a black woman she was the director of IT I interviewed for to be a business analyst with her okay there were 40 people who applied internally for this role I did not have a business analyst background and I was so excited when I got the job and it was my first day and this is um a black woman who's four foot 11 and just this tiny thing that always had to have a big personality because everybody would be like, oh, look, you're so cute. Like, you know, and so they had this big personality. Um, and when I went in all proud of myself because I got this job, like fooled them. Look at me. I'm so awesome. And I sat down. It was my first day. And she said, we both know you're not qualified for this job. Hmm. I was like, damn it, I just got the job. Like, it's my first day. And she goes, I hired you because you told me if I gave you anything, task, that you would figure it out. And I said, yeah. 
And she said, and I was like 23, maybe. She said, I need you to build a multimedia presentation to teach people how we're going to implement Remedy, like in the whatever. And it, I need it in two weeks. And it's going to go to our stakeholder meeting to present to our stakeholder meeting. Now, this is like before 2000. This is, I didn't know what multimedia meant. I didn't know what remedy was. I didn't know. And I was like, how am I supposed to do it? And she said, you said you'd figure it out. And I said, yeah, but what should I use to do it? She goes, figure it, figure it out. And she goes, figure it out. She yelled at me. She threw me out of her office and slammed the door. That was my first day. I, I figured it out. I got the right people. <laughs> I went around and got the book and went everything. And that's what developed me. You can't do that today. You can't yell at people. Yeah. You well, know, I mean, like, you can. It's just probably not as effective. Oh. <laughs> no. So it's like, what is the aversion now? Like, how in HR, how can you boost people to the next level? What should, what, what should leaders do to expect to get the best out of people today? Uh, I still believe in stretch assignments. I think you have to be very intentional with them, though. I yeah. think my superpower is not I, I've, I've I've benefited from stretch assignments and, and leaders that have afforded me that opportunity. One of them is very close to four foot eleven. Um, <laughs> and when she hears this, she's going to be like, yeah, she's a she's a big personality, too. Um. But honestly, I think, you know, I think my I think the superpower I've seen to help people get there, uh, Jackie, co-creation. Mm. Co-creation. I'm working on my leave plan now. Right. I'm going to name uh, two interim CPOs. While I'm gone, I'm splitting my responsibilities. Wow. Um, a lot of my peers are nervous about it. They're like, what? You're doing what? Like, yeah, <laughs> interim, interim assignment. I'm splitting my duties. I want to accelerate their growth. Did I have a point of view on it? Yeah. But I, did I partner with my BP on it? Yeah, I partnered with her. Honestly, she, she's she's more than my BP. In many ways, she's like a shrink. Uh, <laughs> her, her name is Mel. I worked with Mel on it probably multiple, I don't know, five versions before I even took it to Daniel initially. And I gave him two options. I was like, listen, I can split the time or I can split the duties. And here's the pros and cons for both written out. He was like, yeah, I think I like the latter. Great. And so I got to circle back with him and share with him how I've come up with those split responsibilities. But I let both of those people weigh in. Here's the thing. Both of those individuals either added or subtracted something I was willing to give them while I was out after they saw what I had drafted. That mm. the power of creation is powerful because they feel a part of it. Yes. Yes. They, they feel a part of it. Um, People wonder how Deion Sanders has been phenomenal at coaching Colorado and they didn't even win that many games. Like they actually have a losing record. Yes. But here's the thing. It was their first time being together and they feel like they co-created the team together. Next year, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with because they feel like they have been part of the creation process. And I think so often as leaders, one of the failures I think we teach leaders, unfortunately, is that they have to create everything and you don't. Right. You don't. You mentioned Strauss. Me and Strauss nerd out all the time. We go, we walk, when I'm in New York, we do these, he might get mad that I'm telling the story, but whatever. Like, <laughs> I'll hug you later, John. But <laughs> I call it strolling with Strauss. 
because he and I do so much ideation and nerding out together, but we do it while we walk. We'll literally just walk around New York. Wow. How cold weather doesn't matter. And then we'll get back to our computers respectively, do this crazy data dump, like just brain <laughs> dump on a Google Doc async and figure it out. But I think one of his superpowers, Daniel has a superpower as well, is they are wise enough to know they don't know everything, mm-hmm. yet curious enough to surround themselves with people to help them figure it out. That's right. And they let us co-create. They let me co-create. And uh, they didn't brand it that way. But, you know, I worked at Edelman. So, like, everything's a brand. <laughs> but, right, uh, right, right. But yeah, it's the power of co-creation. And I think moving forward, the challenges we're seeing now, Jackie, to your point, these are different challenges. And there's challenges we haven't seen that are on the horizon. And so I think, you know, if I can leave the team with anything, if I can leave your listeners with anything, it would be be courageous enough to co-create with the teams that you have. Find the talent in the market. If you're looking to hire somebody, hire somebody very similar to the way that the leader that hired you, Jackie, which is, yeah, they might not check every box, but can you create with them? Right. If you can create with somebody, oh man, so powerful. I told a group yesterday, I think the biggest emerging skill set for people in our business is storytelling. Yes. If you can't tell the story right, no one cares if you give me 50 pages of data. Nope. What story are you telling me? Um, so yeah, like co-creation, storytelling. Clearly, you got it done with multimedia. So I'm somebody <laughs> on my team after this and be like, hey, I need a multimedia project with Remy. That's right. How do you, how do you do I don't know. <laughs> you do it. That's <laughs> Oh, I appreciate you, everybody. Donald Knight, thank you for being on the Inclusive AF Podcast. I am Jackie Clayton. Katie, you know, pray for her. And we'll see her the next time. And thank you for being here. Absolutely, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.